RPC Radio. Hello and welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kim and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, there is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxingmatters. up to International Women's Day 2023, I've been thinking a lot about the fantastic sharpening of focus that we've started to have as a society on ESG issues, particularly the great strides being taken by some organisations. But it has also started me thinking, did we lose momentum during COVID? Do we still have the emphasis in the right places? And what as individuals can we be doing to move the dial? Today, I feel honoured to be joined by two amazing thought leaders, Kelly Thompson and Phoebe Waters. Phoebe, who some listeners may remember from our previous episode on the value of investigators during legal proceedings, is a director in the Global Investigations Department at JS Held, where she specialises in intelligence gathering for high value and complex litigation and arbitration, particularly involving large-scale frauds and sovereign state disputes. Phoebe is also a chair of the Female Fraud Forum, founding member of Chief, a private network designed to drive more women into positions of power, was recognised as one of the 35 under 35 to watch by management today, and has recently completed a course offered by the University of Cambridge on women leading change. Kelly is also a veteran of podcasting, being both the Taxing Matters podcast's first ever guest on our first ever episode in July 2020, and the co-host with Michelle King of the critically acclaimed podcast, The Fix, a weekly podcast that shares stories of remarkable people who are taking action and innovating to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Kelly is also an employment law expert and a partner here at RPC in the Employment, Engagement and Equality team. Phoebe, Kelly, welcome to Taxi Matters. Thanks, Alice. Thank you, Alice. So, jumping right in... Kelly, there is an increasing trend of organisations in particular moving towards focusing on ESG. What does this look like and why is it happening? That is not a small question. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. There's definitely an increased focus on ESG and it's probably worth saying what on earth ESG means. (laughs) (laughs) It stands for environmental, social and governance considerations and it means different things for different businesses to be honest but what we're really talking about in a nutshell is being a responsible business so being a responsible corporate citizen in the societies and communities in which you operate so why are businesses increasingly focused on it i think there's a few different reasons and to be honest like everything there's no one size fits all so different businesses will have their different rationale and their different focuses to be honest but thematically i think there's a few different areas there's the business case there's the moral case and there's the pragmatic case or if you want to be more cynical the performative case so if we take each of those the moral case the UN the United Nations is continually increasingly calling on businesses and business leaders to take urgent action to support things like limiting the rise in temperature to 1.5 percent that is not something that's going to be resolved by governments alone business needs to take a really leading role in that kind of endeavor 
And then with, let's say, with the diversity, equity, inclusion lens, which falls very much into the S of ESG and the G to a degree, the World Economic Forum found this really depressing statistic, I think, that it's going to take a whole other generation for us to close the worldwide gender pay gap because of COVID. So in that two-year period of height of the pandemic, we've increased the time it's going to take us to close the gender pay gap from just shy of 100 years, so 99.5 years, which was pretty bad enough, right? Yeah. yeah. To 135.6 years. That's a whole generation that we'll have to wait. The business case manifests in loads of different ways. So again, if we just stick with DEI, diverse businesses, if you can harness the power of that diversity, they're more profitable. There's loads of research to back that up. And in really saturated markets, like a lot of our businesses are, are operating in and, and highly competitive globalised markets, we've got to be able to harness this diverse talent, these different ways of thinking. Like, sans to reason, you can't innovate if everybody in the room has homogenous experience. You need to be able to harness those different ways of thinking. And I always think with ESG, it's not about having a purpose instead of profit necessarily. People talk about having a purpose beyond profit. So the two don't have to be at odds with each other. It's about reducing the ways as a business that you profit from creating or exacerbating problems for the planet, for people. That's quite a subtle on the face of it, but a really important difference, I think. Because put simply from a business perspective, if you get it wrong, you're going to lose money. If you get it right, you can make money. So even just with that very narrow, simplistic lens, it makes sense. And then performative, pragmatic case. We've got a war for talent. I hate that phrase. It's so sort of (laughs) old school, isn't it? But we do. And in pretty much every sector, name me a business that isn't trying to attract and retain the best talent possible. And we know increasingly each generation coming through cares about this stuff more and more, is making their employment decisions more and more, and also their sort of spending decisions, actually. And this isn't just something for the younger generations, but it's there, not to mention customers, investors, every other stakeholder. Phoebe, anything to add on any of those excellent points? Yeah, I think talking about the meso level, so the organisational piece that Kelly was mentioning, it's so important that companies actually do things internally about that macro level outside. They're bringing the outside in, as it were. And I think the key first thing is to be able to make those changes in such a volatile world that we've got at the moment is to create psychological safety within the workplace. There's a quote that I wanted to provide, which is by Delazona, who wrote in Harvard Business Review, which is, we become more open-minded, resilient, motivated and persistent when we feel safe. Humour increases as does solution finding and divergent thinking, the cognitive process underlying creativity. I think that's so significant particularly the solution finding in terms of all Mm. those factors that you were mentioning kelly if we're going to try and make effective change which is the most important and to have those developments then we really need to support our business leaders and support our colleagues in feeling safe and what about some of those broad societal shifts that you were talking about kelly yeah i think that's the other bit to note because we've got a bit of a perfect storm in a way as well as all of those macro level shifts in emphasis I was talking about. We've also got things like over the last few years, we've seen a real resurgence in global movements. If you think about Me Too, if you think about the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, and actually what's been really interesting with those sorts of social movements, if I can put it in a really basic way, we've seen them 
come massively into the workplace in ways that in the past, there's often been a bit of a distinction between things that you think about outside of work. To Phoebe's point around psychological safety, we talk so much in progressive workplaces about enabling people to bring their whole selves to work. Part of that, as the employer and the organisation, is engaging with some of the more challenging issues and some of the difficulties and tragedies and worries that people are facing outside of work. They don't leave them at the door when they come into the workplace. And Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting shift, I think. We're quite far in before we've mentioned this E-word. So I feel like we should pat ourselves on the back. I mean, COVID was a huge wake-up call from lots of different perspectives. From an inequality perspective, it both worsened lots of existing inequalities and also brought its own. I read right at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was in The Guardian, somebody described COVID as being a situation where we're all on the same river, but we're definitely not in the same boat. And I think that's a perfect description of it. We think about technology and digital revolution. The start of the pandemic, for a lot of people, a lot of children as well as adults, suddenly life became online, right, and technological. But that already was an unequal access point. The World Economic Forum say in India, about 50% of people don't have access to the internet. So all of a sudden, even if you were one of those lucky people, in inverted commas, who was able to do a job at home theoretically... Half of you didn't have access to the internet available to do that. There's other research that says that that's a general point in the sense that people in higher income jobs, so already ahead of the game on one analysis, are more likely to have jobs that you can do remotely. So if you think about all of those layers, and that's just on that narrow lens of technology those inequalities being exacerbated. And then I think we're down this rabbit hole of doom, so we might as well mention the cost cost of living crisis. Again, massively disproportionately impacting those from marginalised communities. We've got a disability pay gap in this country of about 17% already. Mm -hmm. And then if you think of all of the expenses that you might have as a disabled person already in excess, I think for some pre-COVID it was as much as £1,000 difference a month already and then you think of you've got to charge an electric wheelchair have a separate refrigerator for your medicine travel to get specialist supplies all of those things have become more expensive so that gap just grows and grows and grows and persists the good thing is to phoebe's point before that organizations are becoming more and more mindful of that that everyone is not in the same boat it is very important that organizations do become more mindful about it some still unfortunately like to think that they are mindful and they give out the impression that they are which is still I guess in the right direction but they need to ensure that those practicalities and those operations are put into day-to-day practice for their employees. our tendency to compartmentalise these different issues of being, as you were saying, a disability issue or a gender issue or a community issue. How is that being managed at the moment? That's such a good point. I think that's a really positive shift, actually, if I think about my work in relation to the kind of DEI equality space. Enlightened organisations and individuals very much are starting to approach things with more of what we might call an intersectional lens, essentially the idea that we're humans and therefore you can't compartmentalise us and say, today I'm turning up and this is my experience as a woman. Tomorrow I'm turning up and this is my experience based on my disability. We're carrying all of those things all of the time and people are individuals. But it is a really fine balance to strike because you have to engage with the reality for different 
communities, you just have to at the same time acknowledge that one black person's experience is just one black person's experience. It's not the experience of every black person. That's the same for any community or group. Phoebe's point is absolutely on the money. You can't create psychologically safe environments if you're not engaging with your people as the individuals that they present. That's the challenge for leaders, I think. There's a lot written about this by people who would put it much more eloquently than me. And Kimberly Crenshaw was the person who originally coined the phrase intersectionality. But the idea is the more sort of marginalised identities you have, they layer on top of each other and you face more and more barriers in everyday life and therefore in the workplace. So being aware of that helps you dismantle them as an employer. Reiterating what you just said, that psychological safety can only be created in an inclusive space. And that goes to people being able to be their whole individual as you said and authentic that's such a key word being an authentic individual being an authentic leader and I'm not just talking about leader in terms of a CEO or a legal partner but as your true self and for your colleagues to respect you as that and want to be honest together to be able to question the status quo without any negative consequences happening There's still a lot we can do. I think we have made some progress, but even the gender pay gap, there's, of course, a lot we can do. And and in my opinion, we just need to keep on talking about it and asking for various calls to action on all levels and then developing that into the world, the globe. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And actually, there's a really interesting slash worrying phenomenon where there's this backlash against DEI initiatives. And then there's this divide where... And I'm going to generalise, but the research would suggest there's this divide where, on the one hand, perhaps people who you might more obviously regard as benefiting from improved DEI. Let's talk in binary gender terms for a minute, recognising that I'm already not being totally inclusive with that, but just for ease, and I think this is what the research looked at that women tended to be saying more in this research, we're not doing enough, we're not seeing enough change, the change isn't rapid enough. Mm. And the men in this research tend to be saying, we're talking about this all the time, we seem to be doing loads. And there's that divide where if you're not seeing yourself as the primary beneficiary of the work, I'm hearing loads, the talk Mm. must mean action. And if you are the more primary beneficiary of it, you're like, all I'm hearing is talk, I'm not seeing any action. And we've got to engage with that disconnect and that backlash piece otherwise we're going to become more and more polarized and ultimately this is work that should benefit everybody because we're talking about creating environments where everyone can be the best version of themselves regardless of gender or any other characteristic and I think that's the missing piece of the jigsaw for me in a lot of businesses and that's why it's so complex isn't it because absolutely each individual is different each CEO is different each company is different each sector is different each jurisdiction and that's why I think the classic term win the hearts and minds yeah. is vital because if we go back to the gender discussion, then women tend to be more sensitive, tend to be emotionally intelligent. And that's not to say that some men or other genders aren't. And so we need to think also about how we put the statistics out there, mm. how we can say to those people who want to know about the economy, how it's going to affect the business, how being more inclusive will lead to more profits. Mm-hmm. And we also need to think about how we encourage our organisations to develop multi-stakeholder collaboration in terms of a business point of view. We've been talking about all of these societal level changes, but if we drop down to that meso level of the organisation, Phoebe, what is it that organisations should be starting to look at? 
in addition to the psychological safety piece and encouraging staff to be their authentic selves, I think organisations need to focus on who they can collaborate with, how that can support both meso and macro developments for the better and to be long lasting. We're not talking about quick fixes here. We're talking about development that's going to stay, that's going to be more than a generation, that's going to really help society and help companies and help individuals. If the company is the light bulb with the energy and the positivity and the development shining out, that means that the people within that organisation also need to be invested in and I don't think that's necessarily being done as much as it could be at the moment. I absolutely love that and I think your point around the longevity piece is so important because we're talking about something that you can sustain beyond just the immediate we're not talking about a political like what's going to get me to the next election scenario and there isn't a silver bullet for any of this stuff there's some big stuff that we can do but a lot of it is iterative and keeping going we've been recently re- framing our ESG strategy as a firm and we built into that very expressly that for us this is about creating a more sustainable business for the next generation of our people and our clients we're trying to build into that the recognition that this has to be a continually evolving thing that you're not going to get all the answers so I think that's super important and your partnering point as well one of the sustainable development goals from the UN number 17 is around partnership for the goals recognizing that no one can fix this on their own right one of my colleagues talks about this big boulder and the more hands the better you're trying to push it up a hill why would you not cross collaborate within sector and across sectors to try to do it more quickly and more sustainably yeah and when i was studying at cambridge over the summer at the institute of sustainability leadership we had to create a visual aid about how we thought our own stakeholders look so i used the female fraud forum as the core and so you build up and up so the next ring out of your core so your organization my case the fff then you have your next lot of organisations and out and out and out. And then we're talking about schools or charities and, and the education piece as well. It's really, really interesting to be able to put it onto paper, the me and the you, and how how it can be porous and value being provided both ways. So what about within the organisation's culture that it's trying to develop looking internally? What is it that we need to be focusing on in that situation? Going back to the psychological safety point, using clean language is something that I hadn't actually heard of until a couple of months ago. It's a form of questioning and a way of finding out what someone really means and what they are thinking and feeling and training your staff to be able to communicate efficiently and positively within their teams. A lot of change within organisations is made in teams and effective development is not made when communication is not good. Trust and respect can be improved within teams. Of course, these are huge things. We also just need to think quite simply about the different languages that people speak and the conceptualizations of those words, the roots of the verbs, what they mean as a culture to someone. Again, it's quite deep thinking, but I don't think we do it enough. That's an excellent point, and that's one that I find really resonates with me because my background before I switched over to law was I did a linguistics degree. And one of the things that we were talking about, and this is back, what, 15, 20 years, is we were talking about effective communication and gendered communication and how that crosses across 
it doesn't matter what your communication looks like and what your message is. If your communication tools are expressing gendered pronouns or if you're using terms like chairman, things like that, things which are inherently exclusionary, it's a really, really big barrier to people having the sense of psychological safety. I already feel excluded by the message that you're telling me and it's such a key message that we really do need to think about what language are we using? I agree completely. And I think so much of this is going, the things that we might assume to be neutral are not neutral. And that's quite a challenging thing to ask people to do. Chuck it all up in the air and see where it should land or could land and look at it with a critical eye. Language being a really good example of that. Michelle and I interviewed a brilliant woman, Felicity Wingrove, who is certainly an expert in this space, linguistics and comms. And she was saying how Actually, some of this stuff is about just being thoughtful about the fact that even if you put the gender piece to one side for a minute, that people receive information effectively in different ways. We know this, don't we? Some people are visual. Some people need to hear it. Some people need to go off in a quiet room and read it themselves. Some people need to write it down themselves. And actually, it's not that difficult if you think about it to provide the same information in multiple formats if really your aim is for it to be understood and absorbed by more people if you've got a big room of people providing different delivery methods in the one session I think is a way to make the message more effective so there's lots of this stuff is actually not big changes that you can just be mindful of there's a concept that I read about called the edge of chaos which uh, sounds uh, phenomenally dramatic it's the title of my autobiography there (laughs) and I (laughs) (laughs) absolutely love it um the edge of chaos theory is when something volatile or complex happens in a global or a more meso scale and it is the perfect opportunity for then change to happen so perhaps coming out of the pandemic perhaps we need to now take the opportunity to make that change in the context of what's just happened both of you have ex- has significant experience of helping at that organisational level to create change. So we've already talked about a bit of this. How is it being delivered and how can we continue that process? Phoebe, maybe if we could start with you. Both Kelly and I have suggested that change has been happening already. Some companies are changing their mission statements. Some people are re-looking at their purpose, which is important. So we are seeing some developments with leaders at the top looking at stakeholder collaboration, trying to understand how they can help in the world. What I think, in a nutshell, that organisations can do more is link their strategy and their purpose with the people. Because... They are so intertwined and it goes back to what you're saying at the very beginning, Alice, in terms of that compartmentalization. They need to be seen as a collaborative approach. If organisations tackle it as a whole problem or a whole piece to address, then the results will follow through as a collaborative piece. Exactly as you described, it's taking what might have historically been regarded as a siloed thing, whether it was CSR or DEI or whatever it was called in your organisation, it was plug-in, plug-out scenario. And we've seen some of the impact of it being a plug-in, plug-out scenario. Like at the very start of COVID, one of the first things the government did was said, you don't have to report your gender pay gap. We know you're busy with other stuff. Sending, to my mind, a really clear message that this is something that you do when times are good and you've got some spare time kicking about and then you take this thing off the shelf. But when it's difficult, 
that's just a value add. But I think to make systemic change and sustainable change, as Phoebe was describing, it's got to be baked into the DNA of your organisation. So I like to think if we can get to the point as businesses of going, everyone in this business understands how when going about their job, they can create a more diverse, inclusive, psychologically safe, environmentally friendly, whatever the focus of your mission statement and purposes they know the part that they play that's where the magic happens in the same way that I'm going to mention billing Alice you and I are lawyers in a law firm right we're not the finance director the CFO or our brilliant colleagues in the finance team but we also know that we have a role to play in making the firm profitable and we're a part of that jigsaw and we have experts in the finance team who deliver the difficult stuff but we have to play our part and I think this stuff needs to be seen and structured like that and then it can't be plugged out and put on the shelf when times are hard because it's how you do things around here but also if it comes as phoebe was saying from those individual values and taking them from there then it will automatically feed back through yeah going back one example is how the crisis of the first world war it accelerated women's rights to equal work Mm -hmm. because they took on so many jobs that work and that development was recognized in the 1919 sex discrimination removal act yeah of course that's a huge example we need to do things when times are tough yeah i have another academic quote i love her quotes this is an author called danella meadows she stresses the importance of not assuming that we can predict and control we hear a lot of people say when we're worked up or stressed just go with the flow and that can sometimes be utterly infuriating (laughs) Uh, i'm not suggesting we all then start to count our chakras or whatever the word is but meadows has a beautiful phrase which is dance with systems which she explains is working with uncertainty and expecting surprises and learning from them so i think that sums up in my head certainly how we can help as individuals in the context of both meso and macro worlds We've talked a lot about all of the types of changes that we can be doing, but it's really easy to feel overwhelmed as an individual in the face of what feels like so much to do, so many different areas to focus on, and I've certainly felt that way myself. But what can each person do to bring change? I think that's so true. It can feel really overwhelming, and I think that's true for people whose job it is to focus on this stuff every day so it's certainly true for people who are trying to do this alongside a day job because for most people it hasn't been baked into a non-focused job as yet in most organizations I think what I would say is you are doing something all of the time because doing nothing is not a neutral so you already have taken that step so at least knowing that and thinking well what's the proactive deliberate step I want to take in relation to this the other thing I always say to clients is if today wasn't the day where you thought of a thing that was positive or you did that thing on your list, there's always tomorrow, right? You don't have to be pushing this dial every single day. That's why it's a collective effort. I love a quote as well. It's a suffragette quote and it talks about everyone putting their little stone in and at the end we have a beautiful mosaic. And this work is like that. You can't see immediately the impact of the thing that you're doing. Sometimes you can. Sometimes it's a big step change. The example Phoebe was talking about, or like the Dagenham women protesting for equal pay, 
But sometimes it's not and it's only later, perhaps even another generation or once you've moved on, somebody will see it. But as long as you've got your eyes on the prize and you understand that yours is in that direction, I think there's power in that. So I think it's recognising that wherever you are, in your role, in your business, you will have a different sphere of influence to the person who sits next to you. You might be the top of your organisation and that's a real privilege because you do get to make some of those sweeping changes and to sort of stand for it. You might not be, you might be somewhere else in the hierarchy, but who can you influence? When can you advocate for something? When can you even quietly be the person who says, have we thought about X person who seems to have been excluded from that conversation? It doesn't have to be big things, often the small incremental micro changes are things that make a big difference to another person and then they'll pass it on remembering that we all can make some positive change and this is really important otherwise it is utterly overwhelming I agree absolutely and that goes to what we we're saying earlier about everyone can be a leader yeah it doesn't yeah. have to be big man at the top I really couldn't agree more in terms of those small steps and what we need to recognize is if we're already thinking about it we are doing some good because it means that we are not unconscious about it. We may be consciously incompetent, as the phrase goes, but the main thing is that we are not unconscious. Mm. And it means that we can grow and develop and educate ourselves and others to become competent. That eventually, fourth term in this model, is being unconsciously competent so we don't have to be thinking about the steps that we're doing it's automatically done because we have trained ourselves and others to to follow that model understanding ourselves is so hugely important and combating our self-limiting beliefs and our limiting habits failing to take credit for your achievements that would be a limiting habit a new behavior would be clarifying your personal contribution accepting acknowledgements and being visible another one is expecting others to notice your contributions (laughs) because well why wouldn't they have seen it they should have seen it Mm. whereas the new behavior be be prepared to communicate your achievements succinctly The equivalent of that I've seen referred to people taking their, say, paternity leave loudly and proudly, trying to be an ally and move the dial on things, social norms around who takes childcare responsibility. There's always something that you can do as an individual. It's just stepping back and going, what can I influence? Where can I make a difference or a stand on something? So this has been a fantastic conversation and I hope that our listeners are feeling as hopeful as I am and as inspired. But just before we sign off, one of the things that's really helped to focus my mind on the kinds of things that I personally can do to bring change is to hear how other people are managing those changes. So I thought I'd kick off and we can all share one and I'd share my own change, one of the things that I've noticed and done. I was in a support group for people with endometriosis and one of the people in the group was a person who was assigned female at birth suffered from endometriosis and identified as non-binary. And they described their experience of being excluded from a support network by information and resources being targeted at women, as opposed to at people who have uteruses or at people who have endometriosis. And it was so simple and so unthinking and had such an impact on them and reinforced to me the importance, as we were talking earlier, about thinking about language and thinking about how you communicate, what it is you're intending to communicate. Particularly because in conversations where we are thinking about gendered issues, we do tend to exclude people who don't identify in that binary spectrum. And they're often missed out of really important conversations by mistake. 
and by default and by assumptions. So I'm now focusing on making sure that I make a space for all gender identities in the conversations that I'm having and in the resources that I'm creating and, and challenging others to use language that does make sure that we include and create a message which is able to be digested by everyone who wants it or needs it. So, Kelly. Something I always try and stay mindful of is that you can be both marginalised and in a position of privilege because privilege doesn't make you a bad person, you're not one or the other. So it can be really tempting to focus on the things that you understand need to be changed and need to be made more equitable from your own experience. And there's absolutely value in that passionate kind of work. But yes, I'm a woman. I'm also white. I also happen to be cis. I also happen to be straight. These are all privileges in the society in which we operate. And trying to remember that as well as I know I have benefited from allyship of others, I know there will have been people in rooms advocating for me. I feel that I have that obligation and actually that privilege, to be honest, to spend and trying to always think what other experiences are not in this room or aren't being factored in and trying to use my voice to advocate for others as well. And I think part of that is the obligation that I feel to learn more about other people's experiences because it's not up to someone in a particular marginalised community to teach me. I read a lot of books. (laughs) I'm a bit sad. (laughs) This is a bit of a busman's holiday situation, but my study at home is full of books on different experiences across the whole DEI spectrum because I'm always trying to expand my network. I'm not saying I've nailed it at all. I think it's always a work in progress, isn't it, to try to expand your frame of reference, really. Because it always changes as well. Because it always changes and it's individual. And that's why we're always learning, aren't we? Yeah. It's progressive. Yeah, absolutely. I love both of those. Alice, I also have been really trying to be very conscious about the language that I use. One example that came to mind when you gave your example was using, instead of we are asking for women in the sector to answer the survey, it's we're asking individuals who identify as females to answer this just thinking about it, actually just understanding what you're saying and how someone is going to interpret those words I absolutely would never want to be exclusive and I think understanding and recognizing that we are going to make mistakes sometimes as well but as long as we're trying as long as everyone is trying then it can only get better the other thing which I've really tried to do in 2022 through the FFF is identify allies because we're called the female fraud forum my team have really tried to focus on individuals who identify as men to be included to be supporters and to be offered that space to help the development of those who identify as females in the sector Excellent. And thank you both so much for sharing. So now it's over to our listeners. What are you doing this International Women's Day to move the dial? We'd love you to share your ideas on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you tag RPC and Taxing Matters and use the hashtag move the dial. We'd love to see your ideas. And remember, there will be prizes for the best ones. And unfortunately, that brings us to the close. This is all we've had time for. So thank you so much to Phoebe and to Kelly for joining us. You can find both Phoebe and Kelly on LinkedIn if you have have any questions for me, for Phoebe, or for Kelly, or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taxingmatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you.
If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. And remember to tell a colleague about us. RPC would like to thank podcast manager Josh McDonald. Original score was composed and produced by Insider Music, who also produced this podcast series. To hear a full, uninterrupted version of our podcast theme, go to Instagram at Insider Music and follow the link in bio. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you like Taxi Matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offerings, Insurance Covered, which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and our website. And of course, The Fix with Kelly, which is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and through their own website, thefixpodcast.org. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again shortly.